We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. A Cooley and Kevin football Friday, Washington and Cincinnati in a huge game Sunday at FedEx Field. Uh, I've got to tell you about one of the worst beats. Um, that's sort of a what do you got, uh, which I'll get to here momentarily. And I bet you don't know what Ron Rivera told Cincinnati media uh, either yesterday or the day before, um, but I'm going to share that with you as well. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Chris is on his phone because the Zoom thing was sounding a little echoey this morning, and I'm not sure why that would be. I mean... Did you move spots? Stop. We're not. I can't. I can't fake this for the third. <laughs> so. Yes, you can, <laughs> Chris. We can. We can fake this for the third time. This is the third time that we have done the open the start of this show. Yeah. And in the in the first open, I explained to Kevin as a what he got that I was going to come and surprise him in his studio. Uh, he said, "What? You're here." And you were excited, and it was fun, and, and I was too echoey. And I said, the reason I didn't is because that would be a thoughtful thing to do, and you're just not a thoughtful person, and so I didn't think you deserved the thoughtful act. <laughs> I am excited. Also, also, I'm, I'm excited you're here. You're here because you yeah. are closing on your house in Northern Virginia. And you did tell me that, and I did remember that. You just did not tell me when you were coming back. You didn't give me a specific date that you were coming back yeah yeah so we're not doing the whole I, I'm opening also, again i'm also i'm also not a thoughtful person so collectively two non-thoughtful people are going to still do zoom <laughs> while i'm in virginia i will come in next week and do it with yeah. you a couple days so i want to see you so we're going to deal with um, cooley's phone today as best as we can because the zoom was so echoey in his house that has no soundproofing anymore because it's empty um and uh if you'd come into the studio today it would have sounded the best that it's ever spent but let me just tell everybody as Cooley mentioned this is our third attempt at the open to to the show and it just wasn't good enough and right now to be honest with you your phone's not great either but it's a hell of a lot better than it was but Chris had a harrowing um story about (laughs) an airport worker at the very busy Yellowstone Regional Airport in Cody, Wyoming, um, where he had to stay back as the rest of his family flew, and he had to wait for the next flight, which came seven hours later. Uh, And I'm glad you arrived safely with luggage in hand. But it sounds like you dealt with a person that was pretty difficult. Oh, I'm... 
it wasn't an incredibly difficult situation, but we got to the, here's the story for the third time. Uh, we got to the Cody airport. Our flight was at 7.15. It's a t- tiny, tiny airport. Yeah. Like one flight, one terminal. When you park, you it's free parking, and you walk literally like 50 yards, and you're inside. I, I just, I left my truck. I'm going to leave my truck there for two weeks. It's free. So, actually not two weeks, but um, we get in at 6.42 to a 7.15 flight. There's nobody at the front desk non-existent well i gotta check bags she comes in at 6:48. says i can't put you on this plane i can't put these bags on the plane we you're not here 30 minutes before the flight i said well we were in fact 30 minutes before the flight you weren't here she said i was at this desk at 6:45. that's what i left it i said no you weren't I said yeah i was and then i mean my wife like, yeah you were and blah 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 so she changes her tune and she says well you got to you have to check back 45 minutes before the plane i'm just looking at her like i can see the plane i can see the terminal no one's boarded yet just walk my stupid bags onto the plane and let us go take off <laughs> why would that be so hard I, I get that you don't want to but do it so anyway there's a policy in place you know i've always went 20 30 minutes before the flight it's never been a problem apparently they changed a year ago or two years ago whatever I, i'll accept that what pissed me off was I then stayed, my family got on the plane, I sat with her, she sat on the phone for about seven minutes before she addressed me again, and then I got my tickets, she printed them out for the next flight at 2.30, I said, did you make sure that I'm still in first class? Oh boy. Because we booked first class tickets. And she said, yeah, I did. (laughs) She gave me my two tickets stapled together and off I went. When I got back, I got on the plane from Cody, Wyoming to Denver. I had ticket 1B, the first row. No alarms went off. That would be the first class ticket. There is no first class on that plane, though. It's just a commuter. Right. I get all the way through to Denver, and I get to my second ticket, and it says 24B, middle aisle. <laughs> like that bitch put me in the middle aisle and lied to me. What is like? I, I wasn't that mean. I wasn't that rude about anything. I don't know what what it was about me. Maybe she didn't like my face. But <laughs> all that said, I went and got a change. The other lady said she was sorry. The story was more dramatic the first time I told it. But that's where we're at. I just I don't know why it's so hard, especially in the world we're in right now, where airplane airports and and airlines need passengers to still treat them like shit. I know. Well, it just seems like people that, you know, when we consider people out in your area, out in Wyoming, that everybody's just so nice. Like, it's just, a, you know, the East Coast is where you get all the people with, with toods. But I just would have thought that, you know, the Cody Regional Airport, which if you pull up the Yellowstone Regional Airport in Cody, Wyoming, you, you pull up pictures of it, it honestly looks like a Lego set of, of an airport. Like, it's that tiny. And so I can't imagine that walking in there and somebody was just a complete and utter bitch to you. But it sounds like she was. Um, anyway, I'm glad you made it. And it's, you know, next week is a holiday week, but I think it's going to be warm at least on one of the days. So maybe we can figure out a day to play golf and drink some beers, which would be fun. We enjoy doing that with each other. Um, I'm looking through the weather. Um, eh. 50, I mean, that's mild for you, Uh, 57 on Wednesday, and then uh, next, it's not bad, 
decent golf weather, but you didn't bring your sticks, so that might be an issue. Um, oh, someone will lend me some clubs. We won't have any problem with that. I'll just play with yours. Or you can just play with mine. Um, all right. Uh, let me just tell you real quickly about, because you love the gambling stories. This was last night. I'm telling you, Cooley, this was one of the worst beats of all time. I did not give this game out on the smell test last night. I didn't like it enough to give it out on the smell test last night. But uh, it was not Seattle-Arizona related. We can talk briefly about that game here in a moment. But the game was between Tulane and Tulsa. All right, Tulsa was a a five-and-a-half point favorite over Tulane at home. Tulsa is the 25th-ranked team in the country. And going into the game last night, they were 4-1, and and Tulane was 5-4. and Tulsa was supposed to a lot. You know, the public was all over Tulsa. I, I almost gave it out yesterday. I kind of just forgot, to be honest with you. <clears throat> and I'm glad I did forget because it would have been another L uh, on the Sheehan smell test. But Tulsa was a five-and-a-half-point favorite, Cooley. And something happened in this college game that I cannot remember the last time I saw this happen. The game was scoreless at halftime. This is college football where regularly – you know, it's 59 to 52, 48-46, halftime's usually 27-24. It was scoreless at halftime. 0-0. Zero, zero. It was scoreless into the third quarter before Tulane puts together a couple of touchdowns and they've got a 14-nothing lead at the end of the third quarter. I'm getting five and a half with Tulane. That's money at that point. I mean, I'm not counting it because when you're only getting five and a half and it's a 14 nothing lead, what you worry about is a potential 14-14 overtime game where you lose by seven or you lose by six or whatever. Um, anyway, uh, just to give you uh, the, the shortened version, Tulane's in complete control of the game at 14 nothing. Tulsa gets a drive to cut it to 14-7, but we're into the fourth quarter now. And we're now late into the fourth quarter, and it's 14-7. And Tulsa, with under four minutes to go, has a fourth and 14. All right, now they're at the Tulane 27, and I'm flipping it. By the way, I'm flipping it back and forth with Arizona and Seattle as well because I I was into that game last night. I I, I was sort of rooting for Arizona because I've been shorting Seattle on the air, saying that I don't think they're very good uh, anymore. And I still don't think that they're going to be a Super Bowl team. But anyway... It's 4th and 14, they pick it up. Tulsa picks it up, and I'm like, shit. Then they go in and they score a touchdown to tie it. It's 14-14. But Tulane answers, and at that point, you know, there are three minutes to go, Cooley, so really what you want at that point, and what more likely you will get is a chance for a walk-off field goal. It doesn't matter if Tulsa wins by three or Tulane wins by three. I'm getting five and a half. That would be a winner. Well, Tulane... Uh Tulane drives all the way down the field. We're now down to a minute 30 left, and they're facing a third and 11 at the Tulsa 19. Touchdown pass. Tulane's up 21-14 with a minute 30 to go, and they've made Tulsa use all of their timeouts. So pretty good chance. I'm in really good shape right now. The win probability on the bet at that point would have been well into the you know low 90s, certainly around 90, because – you know, Tulsa could score a touchdown, it could go to overtime, and I could lose the bet. Anyway, Tulsa drives down the field, and on the last play of the game at the Tulane 37, they throw a Hail Mary into the end zone touchdown. By the way, um, this came after two near picks, you know, a definite near pick on, on one of the throws. 
um, and they throw the Hail Mary into the end zone, and it's 21-21. I was hoping when they threw the Hail Mary, hey, why not? Let's go for two. Let's pull Let's pull an old Riverboat Ron. We got the momentum. Let's accept that Tulsa was the home team, and you know Riverboat Ron's philosophy. You go for two on the road. You go for the tie at home. You go for overtime at home. So they kicked, right, right. and now we go to overtime. So the next step for gamblers when you have the underdog – um, in overtime, is you want your team to be on offense first because then if, if the other team's on offense first, they're going for the touchdown no matter what because the other team's going to get the ball back. And so they're going to probably – they're going to try their best to get seven. And when you're you know getting five and a half – You need to get seven. Yeah. Um, but in college, basically the way overtime works is if you win the toss, you always defer and play defense first. Sure. And that, because then when you get the ball back, you know exactly what you need to win the game or to tie the game, et cetera. Anyway, Tulane, um, loses the coin toss. Um, I'm sorry. They win the, the coin toss. They defer. So I'm already sort of fucked there. And, but they hold Tulsa, they hold Tulsa to a field goal. And it's 24-21. So now what I'm hoping for, obviously, is Tulane to win the game with a touchdown or to end up turning it over or missing a field goal. Well, they get forced to kick a field goal, but they make the field goal. Now we're headed to double overtime. But Mm -hmm. Tulane's going to get the ball first, so I feel pretty good about them having the ball first. Yeah, 24-24. It'd be nice. What I really love is them not, you know, is for them to kick a field goal, you know, Tulsa to score a touchdown and win it 30 to 27. Anyway, they get down to a first and goal at the Tulsa 10. It's 24-24 at this point, second overtime. Then it's third and goal at the Tulsa three-yard line. So worst case, if they don't get it in, they're going to kick a field goal. They'll be up three. That means I can't lose the bet in this overtime. And the quarterback throws the ball under pressure, and it gets intercepted and returned 97 yards for a touchdown. 30-24 to 24 final Tulsa. 30. Uh, just for anybody struggling with the math. That's a half a point. Tulsa won the game by six. I was only getting five and a half. I needed Why to be. You, buy the half a point? you know what? I usually do. I, I a lot of times I do, but I, I'll tell you what. To be honest with you, I really thought Tulane was going to win the game. But 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 they beside did. the point, I made a mistake. <laughs> I, I made a mistake. I should have bought the half point. I usually do, but I don't always buy it five and a half to six. I always buy it six and a half to seven, or two and a half to three, or nine and a half to ten, sure. or thirteen and a half to fourteen. Um, but Anyway, um, you know, it wasn't that I lost on in overtime, you know, with Tulsa scoring a touchdown and Tulane getting stopped. I lost on a 97-yard interception return. Tulsa scored 30 points from basically middle of the fourth quarter through overtime after they couldn't score for the first three and a half quarters of the game, and I lose that bet. That was painful, man. Painful loss last night. Um I'm watching this dude return this thing, just imagining you. Hold on. Here's the best part of it. You just you you just reminded me of something. So before the third and goal from the three play, um, there was there was like a delay. I think some I think there was an injury or maybe they called a timeout, and I flipped it over to the Arizona Seattle game, only to flip it back to see the guy 
poor Tulsa that it intercepted the ball, trucking it into the end zone. I actually didn't catch the whole play from the start. I just see him trucking into the end zone, and the announcer's going nuts, and they're mobbing, and I'm like, oh, my. No, 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 no. No. What what happened here? They just scored on defense, didn't they? Oh, Jesus. Gambling. Oh, my gosh. That was a bad I mean, the even even sicker part of this is they max up the protection. (laughs) You're you're watching the play. (laughs) It's a three-man combination. They max the protection. They leave an unblocked B-gap. The quarterback's got immediate pressure in his face. And then the backer who's supposed to be covering the back sloughs off into it. Oh, you know, you know it's so funny. Like when I flipped it I'll on, tell you what, I st- though, if you had if you had Tulsa, you were hyped. Oh my God, it's one of the all-time great wins. But you don't remember the great wins as much as you remember the horrible losses. Trust me, as as someone who's bet sports forever, it is always the bad beats that you remember more than the glorious wins. You know the the uh, the other. The, the, this was multiple bad beats. Yeah, there was. <laughs> this will be. This will multiple. lead. This will lead Van Pelt's bad beats on on Tuesday or whenever he does that on his show. Oh, it's a, a nightmare. For he example. he texted me. He texted me. We uh, when it happened. Um, he goes Tulane. Can you believe it? I'm like, oh my effing god. Um, you know, it's funny. The mind of, of a better is when you see the guy trucking as I flipped it over and I see all the celebration. I'm still hanging there for a moment. I'm, I'm incredulous as to what I believe I just picked up the, uh, on the tail end of, but then, you know what I'm hoping for? I'm hoping for the flag that nobody saw and, but that never came. <laughs> it was over. There's gotta be a flag. Come on, please. A flag. Um, real quickly in the game last night, the Arizona Seattle game, you know, you said something to me. No, well, I think you said something to me a while back about uh, Russell Wilson, sometimes from the pocket, not seeing the, the complete field that, and you think he's much better at that. And I, and I get that, but he's obviously, well, I think he knows where everybody is. Yeah. He, I think there are times that he just doesn't see it because of his height. Um, Sam Monson, who I actually really like, um, from pro football focus you know, was talking about how Russell Wilson's completion percentage is so high in part because he believes Wilson would rather take a sack than throw an incompletion. And I don't know if that's true or not, but there are times when I really do watch Russell Wilson and I think, man, why didn't he just throw it away? And he takes a big sack. Well, I mean, I'll answer it. Okay. Because he doesn't ever think he's going to get sacked. From the he thinks po- he can avoid. Yeah. I, I think, I'm sure, based on history <laughs> and who he is as a player, he believes he can elude the sack. So as opposed to throwing it away, he, he thinks he can get out of the pocket like what? He does it more times than he doesn't. He gets sacked an awful lot. He's second right now in the league in sacked and taking sacks. He's had... He always has. He's always gotten sacked a lot. Yeah. Everyone's going to sit there and tell you for seven years they need help on the offensive line. They keep addressing it. it there's a reason he takes sacks. It's because it, he can't see the check down. Yeah, but when he when he starts moving around, there's nobody better when he starts moving around and the plays that he can make downfield throwing the ball. Um, I 
so they have the easiest schedule left in the NFL. I don't know if anybody knows that. The easiest remaining schedule in the NFL Seattle has, which, by the way, includes three NFC East opponents in their next four games with the Jets in between. They play the Eagles, Giants, Jets, and Washington. That is Seattle's next four games. I personally don't think they're the best team in the NFC, but they're going to be in the postseason because they're already 7-3 and three and they're going to get no less than four more wins. And they might, I think, win the division, although I think that game with the Rams later in the year could decide the division, especially considering that the Rams have already beaten Seattle once. I mean, the Rams, though, still have the Bucks, they have the Cardinals, they have the Patriots. They have the Cardinals twice, actually. Um, so their schedule is different. Um, but I'm actually, I, I guess in part because I think that I recognized last week that I don't think Seattle's as great as everybody else thought they were. And, they, and I, to, I talked about it on the show with Tommy yesterday that there have been some Vegas tells on Seattle. Their odds to win the NFC Championship have dropped significantly over the last couple of weeks. I mean, they've lost three. Uh, they had lost three or four games going into last night. Um, but I also think that there was like some recognition that they were flawed, especially on defense. But I guess they're getting healthier. Pete Carroll talked about that. Carlos Hyde looked pretty good last night. Um, I'll tell you, what is your take on Kyler Murray right now? Did you watch the game last night? You probably did. I was on plane last night. Yeah, you were on a plane last night. So I'll tell you, Murray's another guy. Sometimes you, he's so small, I don't think he sees enough. But he's so fast, he can make plays, obviously. Do you know, last night, one, one of the interesting things about that game last night is he never really got loose as a runner. I don't even know what his numbers were. Here they are. Five, five carries, 15 yards. Like, he never really got loose as a scrambler or a runner. In fact, they seem to have him pegged. He got sacked three times. It seemed like it should have been more. Um, but anyway... Uh, Seattle wins. I think my take on Murray is that he can throw anywhere from a B ball to an A plus ball. You know what I'm saying? Like an F. Like he can throw some really errant and flippant throws, and then he can make some throws that you go, "Wow!" So I, I think he throws normally, with touch as well as anybody does with touch. I I would agree with you. But when you if you were watching Arizona game start to finish, you're going to see five incompletions at a minimum in that game where you go, man, he airmailed that or oh, that was a risky throw. I mean, there are five opportunities for a defense to make plays every single game against Kyler Murray at this point. Now he makes some incredible plays with his legs too, and and he's not just a running quarterback. But I, I mean, it's, I was it's actually funny. as you design this, I'm surprised for Seattle doesn't do this more. We talked about this earlier in the week, and you start to see it, and you've seen it in colleges. But those those receivers outside, just have them sit down at zero yards out in the flat. If your quarterback can't see the check down around the tackle box, just give him an outlet outside. Right. Um, I was actually I, I went sort of blank there for I, I don't think Murray t- throws with great touch. I think Russell Wilson throws with the best touch. Murray Murray can throw with touch. I've seen Murray throw I, with great touch. I don't disagree with that. He, the fact that he has touch on a ball. I think he can throw from multiple angles. I think he can throw with multiple multiple velocities. I, I think he's I think there's something there to him. I just think he's a shortstop that might throw it over the first baseman's head once a game. 
Um, one other quick comment from this game, you know, Isaiah Simmons, who people were raving about, you know, before the draft last night, he looked like the guy that people were talking about. He was all over the field um, in that game. Um, that That's the first time I've watched Arizona where I've noticed that I'm sure an Arizona fan will tell me that he's had a couple of good games Um but he was all over the field. And this was after, remember, early in the year, he wasn't even getting that many snaps in oh, games. Oh, he got benched uh, early in the year. I'm sorry? He got benched early in the right. year before we played them. Right. Um, we're going to get to Washington wins if. We'll get to a smell test lock of the week and a pick. I wanted to just mention that um, I saw this early this morning, and, and as it turns out, my my gut on this was correct, that it had not really been something that a lot of people in town had seen. And it was because Rivera made this statement in his weekly get-together with Cincinnati reporters. What NFL coaches do is they do their you know weekly media requirements with the local media, and then every NFL coach will do – a Zoom call, all right, or a conference call with the opposing team's media on Wednesday or Thursday. I don't know what day of the week it is. It might it might have been yesterday. But anyway, I saw this late last night, early this morning, and um, I thought it was very interesting because the headline was, Ron Rivera says Joe Burrow would have been drafted by Washington if not the Bengals. And the quote was from Rivera, quote, We feel like championships are won by playing good defense. We felt pretty strongly about Chase Young. The only other option we felt was a viable one for us was Joe Burrow, and obviously he was taken by Cincinnati. We think Joe is the full package. We really do. We think Chase is the full package. Depending on what Cincinnati did, that's what we were going to do, the opposite. So, um, look – you would have taken Burrow. I would have taken Burrow. A lot of you felt the same way that if for whatever reason Cincinnati, remember we did all the hypotheticals, if Cincinnati doesn't take Burrow, would you? And we were all like, of course. No matter what your feeling was about Dwayne, everybody that I know felt even more strongly about Burrow, except for those of you out there that said, well, wait a minute, hold on, Burrow, uh, uh, Dwayne beat Burrow out at Ohio State. Um, like that was really relevant because it wasn't. Um, but – I um so obviously you know it's, they there would have been some interest but the fact that he disclosed this now and said it and admitted it I think is very interesting I I there's no for, first of all we now know definitively that he could and would have been allowed to take a quarterback remember there was some discussion about whether or not Dan would actually let him take a quarterback you know if Joe Burrow was there and Tua, remember, had the hip injury, and Chase Young was one of the highest evaluated defensive players in recent draft history. So, you know, they, I think they probably made a really good pick in Chase Young. But the fact that he admitted that is interesting. Like, look, he's been, you know, all over the place in his media stuff and whatever. I mean, we can nitpick it. We have nitpicked it. He's got a lot of issues going on, obviously. Um, but... It's really, you know, a, an absolute, if there was any confusion with anybody, that they just never really believed in Dwayne being their franchise quarterback moving forward. I mean, I guess... Yeah, you, yeah I, I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I think it would have been really interesting if Chase Young was having a season where he struggled, maybe even played somewhat like the 
Wayne played last year, and then he came out and said, "Yeah, Chase Young is the full package. He he was definitely going to be the guy if if they didn't take Chase Young." Um, Joe, Joe Joe's playing great right now. I mean, I get it that they're they don't have a lot of wins, but I think Joe's doing an exceptional job as a young quarterback. Everyone was going to take Burrow first. Every every single team in the league would have taken Joe Burrow first. They're just it's it's so well. I, when I say that, I mean every single team that didn't have a top ten quarterback would have taken Burrow, or they would have traded the pick for immense value. Right. Uh, and, uh, to me, the interesting hypothetical would be: in hindsight, would you take Herbert? Yeah, but that's a hindsight thing. I want I want to stick to this for a moment for a couple of reasons. Number I still one, I think there's enough value in it because the, I I think it's too much of a no brainer. But but. No, Look, dude, come on. I mean, as much as you want Dwayne to be great, he wasn't last year. He wasn't necessarily at Ohio State. Most people had him in the second round. I'll bet you if Carolina went back and looked at it, I'll bet you they had Dwayne in the second or no, third round. No, no. Rivera said that they had him as a first-rounder. But let me, they didn't. Let, me, let me tell you something you told me when we were doing our pre-draft conversations. I said to you, hey, if by chance, and none of us expected to happen, it was a hypothetical, if by chance Cincinnati said, oh my God, Chase Young's the best defensive player in, in decades, we're not passing on him. And I said, if Burrow's available, would you take him? And you said, of course, in a heartbeat. And I said, me too. And I said to you then, do you think they would? And you said, probably not. You told me probably not. And that was not an unusual reaction for anybody playing that hypothetical game because a lot of people believed in Dwayne, but more importantly, the owner believed in Dwayne. And that's why you gave me that answer. And that might have changed the decision for what it was when they made the decision. (laughs) If it had... If if Burrow had went to number two, the owner might have said, "You're going to trade it for picks." Yeah, but the fact that Rivera is now revealing that Burrow would have been the pick had he been there tells us, if he's being straight up, that Dan had no. Ron was able to do what he wanted to do. There's more to this too. the the The, the other part of this is. Look, Ron could say we were going to give Dwayne a shot and there was a chance Dwayne could be our franchise quarterback and that's why we gave him the first four games. But Burrow we had evaluated really high. We would never have passed on Burrow and that's why I mentioned that I would have taken Burrow and that's a, that's a reasonable answer that, hey, if, if we have Dwayne and we don't have another guy, we, we believe Dwayne could be the guy, but, but Burrow was just at a different level from an evaluation standpoint, so we would not have passed on him. In the same way, you know, not apples to apples, Eric Arizona, you know, moved on from Rosen a year later for Kyler Murray, um, but the so he could he obviously could have said that, but by revealing this, I mean it really is very much whether he meant it that way or not. It is another reveal on zero chance that Haskins is back next year, and he knew it at the time. He knew it in, intuitively. He knew it deep. In his, in his soul, in his heart, in his mind. And my only problem with that is the problem that everybody's had here when they've gotten here is they have 
felt a bit beholden to do something to please the owner until it became obvious that it wasn't the thing to do. And that's why I said when they benched him after four games, the whole thing was a freaking sham. Like, you know, he knew, Scott Turner knew, that this wasn't going to be their guy. So why did they ever waste any time with it? Why didn't they deal him in the offseason when there was a chance maybe to get a lot more for him and just start Kyle Allen? And then, you know, and then on top of that, just to take it to another hypothetical, imagine Tua never had the hip surgery and Tua was Tua, tanking for Tua. And then Burrow really was number two. Or maybe Tua was number two, but it was a healthy number two. I wonder what they would have done then. Anyway, my point is... I wonder what they would have done as well. And I'm not going to guarantee you that that they would have just moved on from Dwayne. I'm not going to guarantee you. I I would have. I know you would have. So would have I if Burrow had been there. But just because Ron said we would have taken the best quarterback prospect in the last, whatever, six years, doesn't actually mean that that was a guarantee. Maybe it was. Maybe they had that conversation. The other thing that I would buy in that conversation is if you were to want to sell the owner, Joe Burrow was one of the most hyped quarterbacks and played at an exceptionally high level in games that the owner would have watched. <laughs> yeah, good point. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. is it, a guy that really gets into hype about players. Uh-huh. Something he could sell. Hype. Oh, you could sell Joe Burrow. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there was that. Like, the interest, like, two, I think you could sell, too, and I think that would be interesting. I had Herbert been just a, a little bit more exciting as a prospect. To me, Herbert's the one. I know you're not going to do the hindsight thing, but I just don't think there's a. Like, it was Joe Burrow. Yeah, I'm just reminding you, and I'll, I, I, I could go back and find this. I remember specifically saying, if for whatever reason Burrow dropped to number two, and, and you didn't even let me finish, you go, I, t- I take Burrow. And I said, I, I would too. And I said, if he did, do you think they would? And you said, I don't think so. And, I, I understand. Yeah. So I think, you know, first of all, to be honest with you, this is another one of those things, really, when you think about it, and this was my last point. He shouldn't be saying, you can say how impressed you are with Joe Burrow without admitting that you would have taken him had Cincinnati hadn't taken him. Because again, if you want to get any kind of compensation back for the quarterback you have, it's all about building up that quarterback. And and maybe that ship has sailed because of what they did when they benched him. You know, they publicly knocked him, and then the leaks came out. And maybe they've already blown it on that. And maybe the tape on Dwayne's already blown it for them on that. But again, I just don't see the upside for Rivera in admitting this publicly. Do you? I don't see much of a downside because I think this one was a no-brainer. Okay. Okay. We've already we've already I, established I that that I, we. So, but I'm I'm trying to establish the fact that I don't think he's devaluing Dwayne by making this statement. Okay. So I don't see <clears> the <throat> downside to it. Now again, we're currently at a point where you're talking about. I get value in the draft. Okay, I truly understand it. But we're talking about a point where you're going to have to continue to play this dumb dumb game in the media to get a fifth round pick instead of a sixth. 
or a sixth round. Like, we're, like the value isn't there anymore. Okay, that's fine. It, it, now, now maybe to your point, in the early parts of Ron Rivera's meetings with with the owner, and in the early understanding of where they wanted to go and his evaluation of Dwayne, he could have said, "We need to move this guy right now." There's a chance that we could get a second for him. A second would be absolutely huge as we get to this draft. That may have changed things. Also, keep in mind, they didn't have a second because they had traded right. the second for Montez Sweat. Right. Getting into the second pre-draft may have been plausible. I'm not 100% sure, but you could have traded Dwayne in a fifth to get to a second. Or Dwayne, you know, Dwayne plus if that wasn't there. But as he played through the first four games of the season, I do think some of the film... And, and then, obviously, a lot of what surrounded it dictated that it wasn't there. Now, I, you, I mean, there might be something where another team said, "Look, we're willing to develop a guy," but and, and there was enough that we saw at Ohio State, and there's there's enough game management that we saw through 15 games in Washington or whatever, however many he had that we'll give a fourth. But you're going to need at least two of those teams to get to that point. I don't think you're going to get it. I don't think people really want to develop young quarterbacks. Um, I just don't know if there's. I don't know if there's anything you can do with this situation. So, go live your life. Go, go live your coaching I, I, life. Say what you want to say. Look, I mean, the the bottom line is, of course, most people would say if Burrow was there, you draft Burrow. Like we all had the sense that really isn't the issue. The issue is whether or not they would have. He says they would have, but in the moment back, you know, you got to put yourself back into that moment. Would he have been allowed to? Well, he's saying now he would have, but beyond that, you know, it sure. is, it is the, um, there, there's, there's more to this. It, it, it leads to me thinking what Ron really should have done is just man up early on and tell Dan Dwayne's not my guy. He's not a guy I have any interest in. In developing, <clears throat> for this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason, we need to trade him. And more importantly, Dan, we have to make a very strong move for the best quarterback we've evaluated in the draft in years. We love Chase Young, and if we don't get Joe Burrow trading up to number one, um, then we'll take Chase Young. But the quarterback's more important, and we have to be aggressive in going after Cincinnati's number one. Like I, seriously, like there was, no, a, I hear, I hear it was as close. I mean, it was it was as close to maybe the next great one as they'll ever get. They were one spot away. They could have had a blockbuster package ready to go, or maybe Cincinnati would have never dealt it. Which, by the way, would be my lean. But I just wish somebody they would come because they might have said it doesn't matter if it's Tua or Herbert. Right. Obviously, could we have. love Burrow, but we could get X amount of things. You know, but to your point with Rivera, it's just funny because the common thing is when you go into an interview, everything's great, Kevin. You'll, I think you're going to appreciate where I'm going with this. Um, everything's great. Uh, we love What's your philosophy on that? Uh, totally in line with you. We love that. We appreciate that. You get the job and you go, mm, I think maybe we got to move on from this quarterback. Now that, now that I'm here and I see it, <laughs> I said it was great, but it's not great. But he yeah. got a job. <clears throat> I, the, the other interesting thing with that is, like, if he really knew it, was it a sure thing that? I mean, Rivera was the only interview, I think. 
Like the, the Rivera was the only guy that they wanted. I don't even think the, the Washington reached out to other coaches. Uh, Marvin, Marvin Lewis, they did. I know that for a fact. They did reach out to Marvin Lewis. If it hadn't worked with Rivera, I think it was going to be Marvin Lewis. But they didn't necessarily interview, have a interview him, right? Because the Rivera in the, in the thing went process, well. They had right. they had candidate A, and then they had contingencies. Right. And I think Marvin Lewis would have been a contingency at that point. Agreed. And and so look I, again. I believe a huge mistake that they made, even if they did want to hire Ron Rivera, was to not go out and interview 10 coaches and understand what they think of your team, ask them questions about your players, ask them a lot about evaluations of Dwayne, the direction that you think he would be best fitted. Right. In, and, and, and there's just this amazing fact-finding mission that they could have went through, and they didn't. They chose to just immediately hire Ron Rivera. Well, Cooley, now maybe he that, was coveted by somebody else, but it sure seems sure seems like the Giants like their guy, that Carolina likes their guy. But you know, I mean, where else was he going to? My uh, question at this the, point, the Giants. Would be, what the, what uh, was the true market? Well, I think the the perception at the time was that Dave Gettleman and the Giants would have been a spot. You know, and but who knows really? I, I guess, <clears throat> I guess to your point, it wasn't very smart. But this isn't been a smart organization in terms of the way they operate and so you know Dan calls Joe and Joe says come down and talk to Ron and they talks to Ron and he's got this coach centric idea which you know like he had just discovered the cure for coronavirus and he you know wishes everybody a happy Thanksgiving and he turns it over to somebody where he can say you know we're going to change the culture because that was Bruce's fault and we got a new guy here who's a culture guy let's go I don't know um, I, I personally, the net of this is I don't see any upside in Ron Rivera admitting whether he could or couldn't do it, that they would have taken Joe Burrow because it is whether he believes it or not, or whether he intended it or not. It's a shot at Dwayne again. I just don't see an upside in that. I mean, think about it. It's really a shot at him because, you know, Burrow was an Ohio state guy. He beat Burrow out, you know, like there was talk about that before the draft. It just seems like the knocks on Dwayne, whether subtle or intended or not intended, they just sort of keep coming. And it, I, I, I don't, I don't really understand the upside in that. I would have just said no, about Joe Burrow, he's really good. He, we're so impressed. He is, he's terrific. <clears throat> All yeah, right. I, I think that you don't have to reveal more than that. I'm with you. I'm, my only argument would be I don't see a real downside to saying we would have taken this guy. Okay. Um, let's, uh, get to Washington beats the Bengals. If our keys to the game right after this word from one of our sponsors, we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
and listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, uh, let's get to Washington beats Cincinnati. If you kick it off, don't throw it back to me. You kick it off, please. <laughs> they, I, they outplay another bad team. <laughs> uh, no, seriously. seriously. Uh, the Bengals are not a good defense. I, I, I'm, I haven't been impressed with Cincinnati's defense. They give up almost 27 points a game. They consistently give up points to everyone they play. They give up points with uh, with the, the run game and the pass game. They're just they're a balanced mess defense. And, and so I, I think offensively, you, you control the ball, you control the clock. You, you stay and, and keep within balance offensively, um, and you outplay what I think is another pretty bad team. I, I know that's a, a not really cliche, but this is going to be quick this week. They, I can tell. They, uh, I mean, what do you what do you want to do? <laughs> that we're talking about four collective wins between the two, or do the Bengals have one win? What's what's the the Bengals have two wins? You know what I'm saying? They're two five and one. They yeah, they, they, they tied did. the Eagles. Yeah. Oh yeah, they did have a tie. <clears throat> right. So I mean, you outplay a team that I think you're better than is one. And, and especially, I think you have to get it done on offense. So my, my first one is, you know, obviously, I mean, there's, there, this is, this, this has been a team whose losses totally fit into the cliche answers. They're minus six in the turnover margin in the three games that they've lost, you know, so you can't be that, you know, you, you can't keep, inflicting damage and slapping yourself in the face, especially in the midst of being a very efficient offensive football team. You know, in their last four games, Washington's offense ranks sixth overall in yards per game, first on third downs, right? They, I knew their conversion percentage <clears throat> was, was high. It's, it's, it's over 50%. They're number one in the league on one of the most important statistics – in terms of how it relates to winning a football game, third down conversions over the last four, th- uh, four games. They're eighth in time of possession. And we know that the teams they have faced aren't as good as the teams that Dwayne faced or the team faced early in the year. But still, they are moving the football. And the results of moving this football the way they have in, in sort of very efficient and borderline dominant fashion in terms of moving the football, not necessarily scoring points, should should result in more points. But the reason it hasn't is the field goal kickers miss field goals and they've turned the ball over as they have been moving into scoring territory. And they took a sack last week that amazingly after first and 10 at the Detroit 16-yard line, they ended up out of field goal range. Actually in field goal range for most teams, but for Ron on Sunday with his kicker, out of field goal range. So the bottom line is they have to avoid these – self-inflicted, 
you know, uh, mistakes and, and damage because if they can avoid that, they're going to be a very productive offensive team and they're going to score a lot of points, especially against Cincinnati. To your point, it's not a good defensive team. In the same way that they've moved the ball against Detroit and New York and Dallas, which, you know, I don't even count as a team the, the day they faced them, they should be able to put up a lot of points. Now, they could get outscored by Cincinnati, but. I think the key is just to avoid as much as possible the things that have kept them from scoring a lot more points the last four games. Let's face it, they scored 27 last week, and it should have been no less than 33. Um, you know, and it should, and really. Could have been as as much as forty, you know, or thirty four or thirty seven. They could they had that kind of offensive production in terms of the ability to score. Same thing with the Giants. You know, they they moved the football and you had five turnovers in the game. You can't have five turnovers right. in a game, and they still scored twenty in a game in which they had five turnovers. Anyway, the point number one is. It limit the, the the mistakes, turnovers, missed field goals, sacks, knocking you out of scoring range because you're doing all of the other things that should lead to big offensive days really well, and you should be able to do that Sunday against Cincinnati. Yeah, that's how you all play a bad football team. You limit mistakes. You pay attention to details. <laughs> we talked about you. I mean, we talked about this earlier this week or last week. And a lot of your young players, you got you got to start focusing on ball security and practice. Make that a point. I, I mean, I we I think everybody understands that Alex, the guy that Alex is the guy that knows how to manage a game, and by that I mean he'd rather throw incompletions than than throw interceptions. That's clearly Alex Smith, and so I don't think you necessarily worry about it like that, in that situation. But you can't have Terry McLaurin and Steven Sims and Gibson and a lot. Of, McKissick has fumbled in the last couple weeks and. You just can't afford these fumbles and, and these inane turnovers, but that's I think that's part of beating a bad football team. Uh, my second point to this, Kev, is you got to force Burrow to throw incompletions in this ballgame. To me, he's a guy that's not – like the Bengals are not a big play offense. Now, they have some good weapons. I mean, they still have A.J. Green. Boyd's having a, a really good year. Um and, and Cincinnati well, T, is T. Higgins, I, T. Higgins looks like a star. And Higg- now he missed practice yesterday. He's out so. with an illness. Yeah, it would be nice to yeah, see him Higgins out because like yeah. Bo- yeah, Boyd's a, a big time player, and AJ Green can still make plays. I don't see Cincinnati as a dynamic rush offense. You know, I think when when you look at the Bengals, they're they're pretty average in terms of running the football, and I think our front should be able to manage them. So to me, it's as much as, as you can on first and second down situations, you can't let Joe Burrow get seven, eight, nine-yard games. You can't let him get that intermediate range going and get into a rhythm with some of his really good receivers. I think, you know, to me, I would press him. I would challenge him. I would try to disrupt, disrupt the timing of Burrow. And I think if you can do that, he's a guy that you can get after as, as a pass rush. So force incompletions. And I, I would basically put it at this. If you hold Burrow under 60% passing, I think you're going to win the game. Um, Kime had this stat <clears throat> that um, right now, um, the last four weeks, quarterbacks have thrown the ball an average of 2.52 seconds against Washington's defense. Only two teams have faced faster releases in that time, which tells you that 
the teams are playing. I mean, Stafford, obviously, and Daniel Jones. I mean, take the Dallas game out of the equation, but that counted. But anyway, the point is they're getting it out quickly, which is why you're not seeing – and one of the reasons you're not seeing a lot of sacks. You know, a lot of people are very hung up on – where are all the sacks from Chase Young and Montez Sweat and John Allen and Deron Payne? Well, the quarterbacks are getting their ball the ball out of the hands uh, their hands very quickly. Um, Burrow is a really good extend the play quarterback, and he's made a lot of his big plays extending the play. Part of that too has led to a lot of sacks. He's the third most sacked quarterback in the league in terms of numbers, second most sacked in terms of average number of sacks taken in a game. Mm -hmm. Now, to be fair, the Bengals have played some pretty good defensive teams during the course of of the year. They played the Steelers, they played the Titans, they played the Colts, they played the Ravens, they played the Eagles. Like they played some really good defensive teams this year. Um I think Washington's a good defensive team where uh, we obviously over the last 2 weeks have a different impression, you know, of the, their ability to stop the run, which has been a problem and um some of the, you know, as we discussed, you know, yesterday or Wednesday um you going through the whole last sequence and that terrible last play at the 50-yard line, but you've got to get to Burrow. You and you can't let him extend cuz if he does extend, they're going to have a problem covering because they do have weapons, and you're going to end up in a shootout where if you end up with more turnovers, you're going to lose the game because you're going to have to score and you're going to have to keep the ball away from Burrow. But when Burrow has it, you got to get after him, man. And if you get after him and he escapes, then Higgins and Boyd and Green are going to make big plays down the field. Big plays. No, I I, I love that stat. I, I completely agree with you. And it's, it's been interesting because Del Rio's really mixed and matched coverages and blitzes and fronts. And they've really tried to, to get after teams in the last couple of weeks with some of these blitz looks. The thing is, is they're playing zone behind it. So he's a zone blitz guy. And some of the zone behind it has been poor, to say the least. So I think this potentially is a week where like I suggested before you even brought that up, you get up and you start pressing and challenging receivers. And I think you got corners that can play some man-to-man stuff. And, and maybe this is a, a two-man type of week where you believe your front four can get to the quarterback and you play two-man and, and maybe even bracket Higgins with the safety at times or, or play two-man where both your safeties are essentially helping on their two big receivers. And, and so it, it's not even necessarily just two-man. It's like a man where you're in and outing their two big-time players. And you're saying, you're not going to beat us in rhythm. You're going to have to extend. We're going to help on the biggest players. And we believe in our front four collapsing the pocket and getting to Burrow. I mean, he's been sacked 32 times this year. Right. Like you said, it's second in the league. They have the second most sack yardage given up, and they are not a big play offense. They are. They, I think they only have th- three plays in the year of 40 yards plus downfield, which is obviously not a big-time number. They're seventh in the league in 20-plus yard plays down the field. Again, not a big number. So your theory is, or your thought process, let's, let's trust our guys to play and jam and trust the fact that Joe Burrow wants to get the ball out early 
and everybody that they've watched over the last three weeks on film is beating zone coverage by getting the ball out early. So let's make that change defensively. The last one for me, other than you know the obvious, like the kicker doesn't miss any more kicks, but that was sort of the self-inflicted damage. Is I, I said last week about Detroit that they don't rank very, they rank pretty low in rush defense, like the Cowboys had, and and I think Scott Turner has really attacked things that they think they can attack. But I, I mentioned last week it may be a little bit misleading with Detroit because. They have been very effective against the run in some games, but they've given up a lot of yards in others, which can really skew the average. Well, Cincinnati's the same. Um, Cincinnati's ranked, you know, near the bottom in rush uh, defense again, which, you know, for those that want Washington to be, you know, a team that runs the football and is physical and plays slobber knocker football. And, you know, Cincinnati's like 28th, I think, against the rush, something like that. Dallas is, you know, last or or, or second to last, and Detroit was there. Dallas 29th. What is Cincinnati's 29th? Okay. I knew it was low. So, but. If you look at their games, which I went back and looked at some of them, like last week against Pittsburgh on an exceptionally windy day, Pittsburgh, 20 carries, 44 yards, 2.2 yards per carry. They had another uh, uh, good – they gave up a bunch of yards to Derrick Henry. Um, But against, uh, I think it was the Colts, they only gave up, you know, 15 carries, 59 yards. So – Last week, you know, Scott Turner really part of it is they got behind and they ended up throwing the ball 55 times, as we know. My, my point here on the last thing Washington wins if don't get hung up on ratio, run to pass ratio. I think we've seen that this team with Kyle Allen and with Alex Smith and with some of the quick passing concept concepts with somebody you know using the check down using bubbles using run extension throws also with Alex last week getting the ball down the field he threw it 55 times and they almost won the game they didn't win the game I understand that but they were on the verge of potentially winning the game if they didn't give up a ridiculous last drive against the Giants in the Meadowlands Kyle Allen threw the ball 42 times and they nearly, you know, they had a chance with a two-point conversion or if they kicked to win the game. I would not get hung up on looking at Cincinnati's rush defense. We're not a rush team. You know, against Dallas, everybody's been running the ball against Dallas. But I don't care how they move the football, Cooley. I don't care if Alex Smith ends up being this week 31 of 45 for 292 or 307 um, if it, as long as their third down conversions are eight for fifteen again or nine for sixteen, you know, sure. to to me, balance. To, balance. I don't care about the balance. I want the I want the sticks moved. Okay, well, I think you can move with this team with offense balance, but yeah, no, I hear you. You got to control the ball on offense. That's what you're suggesting. I suggested balance. You just said control the ball on offense. However, it works. Last week, it worked by throwing the football. It worked against the Giants the first time throwing the football. If they think they can, if if it works running the football, great. But I would not look at Cincinnati's rush defense number and say that it's going to be easy to run the football against them. They give up five yards to carry. Is the thing. Yeah, it's because a couple of I people mean, have had big they're, games they're against not, them. They're actually we not don't have Derrick Henry. <laughs> well, yeah, you can run it on them. So, um, I don't know. you have anything I else? Mean, no. <laughs> I'm actually excited to watch the game, to I be am honest t- with you. In part, 
in part because I haven't watched a lot of games with Joe Burrow. So I'm excited to watch this game. I'll be really excited to watch this film afterwards with Burrow. Normally I have a little bit more time to watch some film on some of the opposing teams um, with traveling and everything this week. I didn't get to watch much Cincinnati. All right, well, let's do a smell test lock of the week right after this word from one of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Kevin looks where the John Q. public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's, it's time, time for, for the, the smell, smell test. test. And the smell test is brought to you by MyBookie.ag. If you're looking for a place to wager on sports, MyBookie's the place. And I would definitely give them a roll first. And you can actually roll. You can actually get into their uh, table games area, their online casino, and play a little, you know, craps. You can play cards. You can play blackjack. You can play slots. They've got it all. Uh, tread uh, very lightly uh, if you're not into and you haven't been exposed to gambling. Just tiptoe into it. But this is a place you can trust. Um, they're going to give you fair pricing, fair lines, and you're going to get paid if you win. And if you use my promo code, Kevin DC, they will match your deposit up to half of the amount. So if you deposit $500, they'll give you an extra $250 to play with, all the way up to 1000 So if you want to deposit 1000 bucks, they'll give you 500 additional dollars to play with. But you've got to use my promo code, KevinDC. I've mentioned this to all of you that do wager and you already have a site. You might as well just sign up at mybookie.ag, use my promo code, get the free half match, and then you've got a place to comparison shop in terms of lines. If you're really into betting, you shouldn't be relying on one spot anyway. You should have a couple of spots where you can comparison shop point spreads and get the best number, get the best pricing on a money line. Um, that makes much more sense. Trust me, it adds up over the course of a season if you're taking advantage of the best possible line and pricing. Um, but uh, mybookie.ag is one of those places you can totally rely on and totally trust. Mybookie.ag, use my promo code, KevinDC. All right. Um, I have, wow, 
a smell test, Cooley, that I'm just going for it this week. <laughs> I, Can I pick my luck of the week before you do your smell test? Sure. Yeah, let's change it up. Maybe it'll be for, for better luck for me. Um, what was your lock of the week last week? I forget. I think it was Washington. It was a bad pick. Yeah. I had a good feeling. I just, I think that they were, they, I, they should have covered. They were better than Detroit. All right, give me your lock of the week. So this is just from something I heard. It's not sharp money or anything. But, and I normally don't pick college football, but I have a tie to this game enough that I, I would feel uncomfortable betting on it. <laughs> um, Louisville is a two and six football team. They're playing Syracuse, a one and seven football team. Great game to watch, Kev. Great game to watch. Louisville is an eighteen and a half point favorite right now. Uh-huh. That's a big number for a two and six football team, even though they're playing a one and seven football team. Syracuse is terrible. They they just are. Syracuse is terrible. They're on like their fourth quarterback. They cannot really score offensively. They give up points. Louisville actually can score. They've been in some ball games. They smoked Florida State. Louisville's going to dominate this game. I think Syracuse is a bad football team. Really bad football team. I feel like I wanted to go first because so many times you pick all these games and then I just got to pick my <laughs> my lock of the week off of your smell test right. and I'm just following you. And so I wanted to be bold with this one. I don't know if it's in your smell test or not, but I see Louisville, an 18-and-a-half-point favorite winning this game in a landslide at 7 o'clock tonight, tomorrow night, whatever day you're watching this. <coughs> it's, night. No, it's tonight. It's an early pick. You know why, it's, it's I, you know why I know that. Because it's in your smell test. Of course. It's the first game <laughs> That's in my why smell I wanted test. to go first. <laughs> I feel so strong about this game. The best part about this is Syracuse actually played one of their best games of the week last week and covered against BC, who the week before almost beat Clemson in Death Valley. Now, Trevor Lawrence didn't play in that game. Um, but the line is way too big, and the public's playing Syracuse. So, yes, my first smell test play is Louisville laying the 18 and a half tonight uh, on a Friday night game against uh, against uh, uh, Syracuse, who you know is terrible. Um, I've got another Friday night game for you, two Friday night games. Minnesota is a terrible team and Purdue's decent and Purdue's laying two on the road to Minnesota. Give me Minnesota tonight plus the two at home. Uh, let's go to Saturday. I got a lot of games, so I'm going to rip through these fairly quickly. Um New Mexico, somebody told me... The Lobos? You're going Lobo? New Mexico, somebody told me, is a major, you know, uh, anti-public play against Air Force. But more than that, this person told me, New Mexico's not a terrible team and nobody knows it yet. And I started looking at them like, all right, they lost to Nevada by seven. They lost at Hawaii by six. They've covered their last two. They covered... um, uh, they almost covered against San Jose State. Um, whatever. I got New Mexico plus 18 um, tonight uh, or tomorrow. That game is that game is tomorrow plus 18. Great analysis. Um, uh, way too much analysis. Uh, Nebraska should not be a 15 and a half point favorite over Illinois. I'll take Nebraska laying 15 and a half. Um, UCF, this is probably going to be a big mistake. They're getting five and a half against Cincinnati tomorrow. 
man, every time I go against Cincinnati, it doesn't work out. I'm going to do it one more time. The public's all over the seventh-ranked undefeated 7-0 and Bearcats. I'll take UCF plus 5.5 at home. UCLA plus 17 at Oregon. Uh, Virginia Tech, I've been on them a bunch this year. And the public's on the other side again against them. I'll take them laying three at Pitt. Uh, Oklahoma State's the anti-public side against Oklahoma. There's a lot of sharp money on Oklahoma State as well, plus seven in the Bedlam game at Oklahoma. Man, you know, Auburn, their last outing, they absolutely demolished LSU. Tennessee with that Jeremy Pruitt, man. I don't I don't get it, man. Tennessee can't score, and yet they're only getting 11. The public's all over Auburn. I'll take Tennessee on a flyer, plus 11. <laughs> Um, I, I've gone against Liberty, uh, and it has not worked out. They are 22nd ranked in the country, 8-0. NC State's laying 3.5 against them. I'll take the Wolf Pack. Actually, it's 3, not 3.5, excuse me. Uh, Washington minus 11 against Arizona. USC minus 2.5 at Utah. Uh, Stanford minus 3 against Washington State. And Hawaii, for the first time this year, makes the smell uh, smell test. If you're really in trouble, based on my earlier picks, you can take the Rainbows plus two touchdowns in the my favorite move, one of my favorite movies and one of my favorite references of all time, Vince Vaughn, and um, in The Dilemma. Uh, the Dilemma, the intervention scene in The Dilemma is one of the funniest scenes of all time when they are talking about betting Hawaii means you've got a gambling problem. Whenever you're up late at night and you bet the Hawaii game, you've got a gambling problem. Let's go to Sunday. Um, I like Washington. The public's on Cincinnati. They like Joe Burrow and Washington's favored. I like Washington laying a point. New England's effort Sunday night against Baltimore was one of my favorites of the year. They are laying a short number at Houston. I'll take the Texans plus two. I've been right on Minnesota five times this year, Cooley, either betting against them or on them. I'm 5-0. and um, I had them, I had the Vikings uh, for the first time when they played Tennessee. They were getting three. They lost by one and covered. I had them against Houston as, as a three-and-a-half-point dog. They won outright. I had them as a six-and-a-half-point dog at Seattle. They should have won outright. They lost by a point. I had Atlanta against Minnesota. When, they, when the Vikings were a three-and-a-half-point favorite, Atlanta won big. Then I came back and I had the Vikings plus, I think, five-and-a-half or plus six at Lambeau, and they won that game. They won it outright. Um, they are laying seven to the Cowboys, and the world is on Minnesota this week. Um, I like Dallas plus the seven. I don't know if they win the game, but Dallas was good enough against Pittsburgh with Garrett Gilbert. They get Dalton back. Um I said to Tommy yesterday, I have a feeling Dallas is going to play better here the next few weeks, maybe even on Thanksgiving Day. Dallas plus seven against Minnesota. I love Indy this week, laying two at home against Green Bay. Um, Anytime you get Aaron Rodgers as an underdog, the public's going to love that side. I'll take Indy minus the two. And then I like the Eagles plus the three. The public's on Cleveland. The Eagles, everybody thinks, is part of the stinky NFC East. I just gave you, by the way, three NFC East teams in the smell test. Washington, Philly, and Dallas. That should frighten you. Um, As always, this is for 
entertainment purposes only. Tread lightly, but the smell test has Minnesota and Louisville tonight, New Mexico, New Nebraska, UCF, UCLA, Virginia Tech, Oklahoma State, Tennessee, NC State, Washington, Southern Cal, Stanford, and Hawaii tomorrow. And then the Skins, the Texans, the Eagles, the Cowboys, and the Colts on Sunday. There you go. Uh, Cooley's Lock Can of the I Week. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, were you going to ask me, am I going to bet all these? I have to, I, well, that, that, let me ask you three questions. Yeah. First question, do you think some of this COVID stuff is affecting the actual betting on games? Like, more people are betting in a certain direction for a certain reason. There's less unknown to a lot of it. Because there, there's just some, this, this year is some really interesting lines throughout the year. And some, I don't know. Some big public plays. You've had more smell test picks than really ever before. Do you think that there's an impact of some of the COVID stuff on it? Well, I, I have no idea whether or not it's been a help or a hindrance to the better or to the house. I can tell you the better's had a decent year this year so far. But one thing is for sure, the amount of gambling on sports during the pandemic has gone up significantly. Then do you think, well, it's also that betting's legal. Do you think the significant legal betting going up has in, impacted somehow the the outcome of the line? There's some, no. I mean, there's something no. different about this year. No. It just I, feels different. I don't, I don't see anything different in, like, the spreads. I think, I think it's been harder for Vegas because you don't know, you know, you're who's putting line, you're, you're putting lines out there with the risk that key players are going to be out. And then, by the way, the games are going to be postponed, which has happened a lot, but that just voids the bet. The worst is sure. when somebody, you know, makes a big wager on, let's just say, Louisville, because we we want them to win, and they they got them at seventeen and a half, eighteen when the line opened up, and then Syracuse ruled out six people due to COVID, but they're going to play the game anyway. Um, and you had big wagers at eight at seventeen and a half, eighteen. Now they bumped the line up to nineteen, nineteen and a half, twenty, um, and you know they win by twenty. You know they win by nineteen. But your big your big money came in early. I mean, some of those things can happen. I mean, but there's just as much risk that the better's going to be on the wrong side of that as there is the house. So, yeah, sure. Anyway, uh, what are you going to do while all this goes on? Just check scores afterwards. Because you know, a massive number of games. That you, I mean, normally if I were going to bet games, which I don't do, I, I would do it because it creates entertainment for and a reason to watch the game. You just seem like you have a problem. No, so the so that's a really good question. What's been really interesting about this year, like college football, because it's been so weird and so many games have been postponed and so many teams have played a lot of games and other teams have played so few and it's just not seeming like a real season. I haven't watched as much college football. So even like, I mean, I can tell you that there have been multiple Saturdays, especially earlier when it was warmer, where I was just out playing golf. And I'd be checking my phone to see the scores, but, you know, whatever. I, I wasn't sitting there, you know, for 15 straight hours watching games. I haven't done that once on a Saturday this year. Sunday, obviously, yeah. is a, you know, that's because of our team is playing, and it's a big part of, you know, what we do, um, what I do certainly. So I'm sitting there Sunday from 1 o'clock until, you know, 11, 15, the, the night game is over. But no, the, the the college football fan that I am year in and year out, it's been a totally different consumption sure. pattern this year for me. 
I've watched so much less. Do you know, like, tomorrow at 3.30, you know, usually the big SEC game of the week spotlight 3.30 CBS, you know, tomorrow? Right. Because of all the SEC games that have been canceled um, for, for this weekend, do you know CBS tomorrow at 3.30 in the afternoon on CBS, there's not an SEC game they're showing. At 3.30 on CBS, they are showing San Diego State at Nevada. That's how that's how sad this season's been and weird, you know, because so many SEC games have been canceled. I mean, this weekend, I'm looking at um, Ole Miss Texas A&M was supposed to be that game, and it got canceled. So anyway, um, uh, what else do we have? All right. uh, prediction on the game. Give me a final score. I think this looks like a 24-21 game for Washington. I got Washington 20. Yeah, I, I don't like that, though. Okay. I, hold on, hold on. I, I don't like that because I think Cincinnati gets at least a field goal in this game. So somehow Cincinnati's going to get to – it's 24-20. Two field goals, Cincinnati, 24-20. Uh, you know, Seattle ended up with 28 last night, but they did not get to 28 the normal way. They had, there was a, sure. they had a safety in the game. They had a missed extra point in the game. And then they had a couple of field goals in the game. Jason Myers kicked a few field goals. It was a weird way to get to 28. Sometimes you can get to 21 like you just described, and there could have been a couple of field goals in there. Anyway, um, I got 27-20 Washington. Uh, I think they have an error-free day, uh, and that leads to a win um, in sort of a fast-moving game where both teams move the ball and score, but Washington ends up winning 27-20. And then we'll get ready for a Thanksgiving Day game, which would have you know some meaning in the NFC East. Uh, anyway, that's it for the day. Um, enjoy uh, your time back in Northern Virginia. Call me uh, a little bit later on, and we'll figure out a time to get together or not. Sweetness.